I will feast at the table of the Lord. I will feast at the table of the Lord. I won't hunger anymore. Welcome to the table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. We worship at Island Creek Elementary School, 7855 Morning View Lane, every Sunday at 10 a.m. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. last verse you should it should already be very familiar just by looking at it John 3:16 yeah now there was a pharisee named nicodemus a leader of the jews he came to jesus by night and said to him rabbi we know that you are a teacher who has come from god for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of god jesus answered him very truly i tell you no one can see the kingdom of god without being born from above nicodemus said to him How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I have said said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? 
Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. So we are um, working our way through a sermon series on the Enneagram, and today we are settling ourselves on number five, the observer. We're going to meet the five in the midst of probably the most well-known conversation, phrase, verses of Jesus in the entire Bible. And yes, like we read it, that verse that's complicated. And if, if you come from particular traditions, it might actually bother you to hear it read. Did it unsettle anybody? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. An incredible and a cryptic verse that takes place at night in a conversation between Jesus and a brilliant man. I believe that Nicodemus is an observer. He's a five. For the last three weeks, we've been in the heart section of the Enneagram, the twos, threes, and fours. Their underlying issue is, well, like, what do I feel? What do I feel? And for the two, it's based on serving. For the three, that's achieving. And for the four, it's just about feeling. And today, we make the biggest shift in the Enneagram, the biggest shift. This chasm between the four and the five is so wide. So if you're a four and you're married to a five and you feel separate or distant at times, there is a reason for that. (laughs) If you are a four-wing five and you feel a chasm most of your life within your own self, there is a reason for that. You're kind of being torn apart inside. Now don't be discouraged by that because oftentimes fours and fives fall in love with one another. It's a thing. Because opposites attract, and then you spend the rest of your life driving each other crazy. Remember, the fours feel really deeply, feel more than any other type. And then we shift to the five, and the fives don't live their life based on their heart, but in their head. We're not entering, um, we're now entering into that head section of the Enneagram. The five, the six, the seven, they're all in their minds. And they're thinking about the world around them, and they're processing everything at every moment, and they're always up here. So my fives today, hear this. God has given you a beautiful mind and an active brain. You're a deep thinker, you're an observer, and we love you for that. But here's the deal. You can't think your way into heaven. You can't think your way into a life with God. And you have to at some point get in contact with your heart because despite what you think, fives, you do have emotions. Despite what all of us think, fives actually do have emotions. They have feelings. And how do we know that? Because a five has told us so. Some scientist five somewhere told us no human being ever makes a decision without emotion. You can't see it in the five, 
but it's there. You're not Spock, Fives. And so today, Jesus, after dark, is having a crucial conversation with a man named Nicodemus, and he's trying to get Nicodemus to move from his head to his heart. So here's the scene. This man, Nicodemus, it says, is a religious leader and a Pharisee. And this description really does not do Nicodemus justice. In the, in the Greek, it sounds more like an introduction of a guest speaker at an Ivy League college. This story begins with prestigious pedigree and professional accomplishments of one of the most brilliant men in all of the ancient world. His name's Nicodemus, and, and he's world-renowned for how intelligent he is. He's brilliant, a mind above all other minds. And Nicodemus is one of the leading Pharisees, it says. But also, wait for it, we later learn he's part of the Sanhedrin too. So like in the ancient world, this is equivalent to being maybe like a part of the Senate and the Supreme Court. (laughs) Pretty sure that's not constitutionally possible. But Nicodemus is a part of both. He's a powerful man and he is brilliant. And on one dark evening, he comes to speak with Jesus, and he's one of the most educated and accomplished leaders in Jewish history, and he still refers to Jesus in this story as, did you notice, rabbi. He's the observer. He's observed Jesus, and he acknowledges Jesus's brilliance. He says, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. It's obvious. I've taken notes. I've meticulously kept track of the evidence. I've observed and taken notes, and I believe there is a suitable amount of evidence to suggest that you have been sent by God and that you are worth my time and my ear and my respect. Nicodemus, the observer, he he watches and he quietly observes Jesus over time. Observers take observations and they take notes. And we have a word for this, a scientist, perhaps. And he says, your miraculous signs are obvious that God is with you. I mean, what else could it be? Basically, it doesn't take a genius to observe someone, raise someone else from the dead, and say, well, you you must be kind of special, at the very least. And Jesus sees Nicodemus's acknowledgement and approval and raises him a cryptic answer. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And so here's Nicodemus making observations, looking at the world as he understands it and taking notes. And Jesus, Jesus says, you can't observe your way into heaven. Jesus says, Nicodemus, you're missing eternal life by about 12 to 18 inches, the distance between your head and your heart. You can be a professor of New Testament and teach students about Christianity and still miss Jesus. A lot of intellectuals know a lot about the Bible and nothing about God. But here's the thing, you can't wrap your mind around God. Your brain isn't big enough for God. Jesus says, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. Something has to happen dramatically in you. Something has to change. Something has to die and be born again in you. The old has to be gone and the new has to come for you to see and be a part of the kingdom of God being built on earth even now. You can't think your way there. You can't earn your way there. You can't buy your way into the kingdom. And the observer does what the observer does, <laughs> what they do best. Um, so what exactly do you mean? I have a question, Jesus. So like, how can an old man go back into his mother's womb 
I've taken anatomy. I've delivered probably like five babies in my lifetime. Nicodemus, our observer, our scientist, knows that's impossible. Old man can't fit back into his mother's womb. And Jesus responds with another mysterious phrase, a phrase that should sound very familiar to you all from something we do up here often. I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. What's he talking about? So what happens when a woman goes into labor? Her water breaks, and it's not just a little bit of water. When you're born, the water breaks, and then you come into the world. And Jesus says that the kind of birth, the kind of rebirth that he's talking about involves more than water. It better involve the Spirit. It better involve some act of God that is bigger than me, bigger than what I can comprehend, more overwhelming, more overturning than my mind can ever possibly know. It doesn't matter if you've walked up for some altar call at some point or if you were baptized as a baby or or a believing Christian or whether you went off to seminary or show up on Sunday morning every single week to serve. Without the Spirit changing you, tearing you, ripping you away from a life that you would have led without Jesus, you have not seen the kingdom of God. This is why when Jesus is baptized, it says that the heavens were torn apart from top to bottom. I've talked about this word schizo before. There was a schism in the fabric of the universe. When Jesus was baptized and the Spirit came down, the heavens schismed, this life of faith requires there be a schism in our life, a schism, an encounter with God that is beyond our comprehension in which we are torn from one life and thrust into a new one, a new life that Jesus calls living in the Spirit, which is weird because remember, Nicodemus is supposed to be the spiritual guide. He's the best Israel has. He's the smartest. He can write Hebrew forward and backwards. He knows Greek. He speaks Aramaic. He is brilliant. And Jesus says he's missing it. Jesus says the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born anew. He says the wind blows. You hear it. You don't know where it comes from. You can't explain this thing we call salvation. Part of the reason why we have so many denominations now, right, is that everyone is arguing over how people are saved. That's why we all split. And Jesus just says, stop, don't, because you're never going to fully understand it. And I don't care what the commentary says from whatever denomination, from whoever theologian. There is some interaction between God and us that produces life. And churches fight over what's our part and what's God's part, and we miss heaven by 12 to 18 inches. How are these things possible, Nicodemus asks. Nicodemus is still observing, still detached, still watching. And Jesus replies, you are a respected teacher, and yet you still don't understand. How is it that that you're Israel's most studied theologian, and you're still clueless as to what I'm talking about? We have told you about what we know and what we have seen, but if you don't believe... When I tell you about what's happening here on earth, how can you possibly believe when I clue you into heavenly things? Jesus tries to get the observer to move from his head into his heart. Observers, you are, you're amazing. My husband has a lot of observer in him. You're incredible. You're the smartest people around us all the time. The smartest. And you 
but you rarely share that you're the smartest. That's kind of an interesting thing about the fives. The observers are amazing because they reflect for us God's wisdom. They're smarter than the rest of us, and it's okay. If you're a five, I'm humbled that you're still a part of this church because, like, I'm so much dumber than you, and you keep coming back. So <laughs> I'm dumber than you, and I st- I'm still on stage because I'm the three. So if you're a five, you're like, yep, that is what I have observed. And Michelle, I have sized you up, and I have studied you, and my research has helped me conclude that you are, in fact, the teacher that you name yourself to be, and that is what I have observed. What drives the observer? They want to gain knowledge. Why is Nicodemus talking to Jesus in the middle of the night? Because he can't wrap his head around this thing. Who can? Who steals a lunch from a little boy and feeds 5,000 people? Who walks on water? It does not make sense. None of the rest of us are trying to figure it out, but you really want to. Observers are are trying to gain knowledge. They're trying to understand. And if, if you're raising a little five, guess what their favorite question is in your house? Why? Why? But why? But why? No, mom, why? Dad, why? And you're like, oh my gosh, you're four and you're smarter than us. Because like, I don't actually care how the plane works. I don't care how it works. I just want it to work. (laughs) By the way, fives make great pilots. They do. You want a five at the wheel when that thing is going down. They want to gain knowledge, fives. They want to know, and it's their, their incessant question of why that led to seminaries, which led to universities, which led to, to modern science. We give Christians very little credit. It was great Christian, great Christian fives who helped create the great schools that we know now. Public schools, Ivy League colleges, universities all across the nation. They wanted to know why do things work the way they do. They also want to uncover truth. So don't ever take a five, I'm married to one, don't ever take a five to a magic show. Oh, I know how they did it. Oh, I see what they did. I, I know exactly how they did it. I I know exactly, I know it. Shut up! (laughs) Like, I just want to believe. I want to believe. Like, I think the guy is Jesus up there. (laughs) What did he just do? (laughs) Fives are also great detectives. So also don't watch SVU with them. They already know who committed the crime. Ten minutes in. (laughs) What do they want to avoid? Fives absolutely at all costs, they have to avoid incompetence. You want to throw a five off or make them very uncomfortable. Pop quiz. They want to be ready. They want to be prepared. They want to know when the test is, when the paper is due, and you better not, better not stray from the syllabus. They want to in- avoid incompetence. So also don't embarrass a five. They hate it. You want a five to go right back into their shell after you've brought it out? You put them on the spot. You embarrass them, you pull them out, you put them on display, and they will retreat further and further and further and further back into themselves. And here's the thing, observers, fives, they they know almost everything. They're always, always researching. And so we always want to prove them wrong. (laughs) I know something you don't. This is a regular thing in my household. And normally I find out I'm still wrong. (laughs) 
If you put them on the spot or you try to prove them wrong, they're never coming over to your house again for game night. Didn't really want to come in the first place, but some spousal unit brought them. <laughs> when healthy, when an observer is healthy, here's the beauty. They, they remain calm and focused in decisions and in processing. That's why you want the five flying the plane. Both engines crash. You don't want me. We're going to die! <laughs> A five is like, we've lost engine one. We have lost engine two. Tower, we're going to need an emergency landing. We're going to be descending at a rate of 30,000 feet per second. And I'm going to need to have an ambulance and some fire engines when we arrive. And I'm like, we're dying! <laughs> Remember what Captain Sully said? You're going to find us in the Hudson. <laughs> what? <laughs> Emergency room doctors. You want them to be fives. You want them to be fives. Wow, you have lost a leg, an arm, and one ear. If that's a four in there, they're like, oh my god, you must be hurting so bad. A three, I am not operating. This guy is dead. I, this will not go on my record. The two is like around the corner at the gift shop buying the biggest bouquet of balloons or they're already on their computer setting up the meal train. Who cares if they don't, you know, if they're still in the emergency room, got to get those meals ready. The one, well, you just shouldn't have done that, right? <laughs> Had you not done that, you might still have an arm. But fives remain calm and focused. They're great. They're fantastic. And, and, and they can remain unemotional. So when a church has a massive conflict or a family has a massive conflict, the fives are like, I think we have a problem here. And the fours are choking each other out. <laughs> and the threes are looking for other families and other churches. <laughs> If you're a four and you're married to a five, here's, here's why you fell in love with them. Because they're super thoughtful. Because they think a lot. And they're so thoughtful and their knowledge is in so many areas that it makes them very perceptive. You see, if you're a four or a three or a seven and you're married to a five, the reason you fell in love with them is because they, you watched them observe you. They observed your uniqueness or your talent, or your easygoing attitude, and they liked it immediately, because you're different. You're different from them, and they've observed that, and they think it's beautiful. Fives can listen well. They can repeat back to you how you feel, what you're thinking, what's happening in your life. And when, when healthy, they're insightful, and they're observant, and they desire the world to just be a little less chaotic and a little bit more organized. When a plane crashes, who do you want? Well, what went wrong? I don't know, but I need you to fix it, five. That's what happens normally on a Sunday morning. All this tech stuff up here, it's something I got like three half fives like all around me, and I'm like, I don't know, I don't care. I just, fives, go to work. Just go to your places, fives, figure it out. <laughs> Here's the shift for a five, though. When they become unhealthy, they shift from being the observer to being detached. So if you're raising a kid, and you think they're a five, you have to watch really closely video games and computers and even books because your child will disappear. 
Because books and computers, they make sense. People, people don't make sense. People are erratic and weird and bizarre, and fives can retreat deeper into themselves, into their head, and you've got to be sure you love them and care for them by calling them out. Tell them, put your phone down. You've got to eat with us now. This is the time to be present with us now. Stop being so detached. Next, a five is unhealthy when, um, sorry, next, a five when unhealthy does, does not engage emotionally or socially in healthy ways. Fives, when you're healthy, you go to the party and you stand in the corner and you just observe everything that's happening at the party and you watch everyone with maybe a smile on your face. Maybe not. But fives, when you become unhealthy, you're not going to the party anymore. You're not going anywhere anymore. You retreat into yourself and you detach from others and you were made for relationship. So the fives want to avoid incompetence. Jesus, I, I, I don't understand why I can't see what everyone else sees. Can you please explain it to me? They need to avoid incompetence because it can cause them to withdraw completely from the world around them. Have you ever noticed fives? Like, like fives, people are stupid. Like, people are incompetent. And observers, you might have to take some time to process this because the way you respond to incompetence is your sin. The way you respond to relationship is your sin. For the five, their sin is greed. What do you mean by that? Stinginess. 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 See what the five does? They, 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 they withhold. First and foremost, they withhold their time. So don't waste their time. If you're a mom or dad, you don't have time for your kids. You're, you're providing for their life. And then you also need time to study and grow and learn and you need your time on your own and you become greedy with your time. Your five usually serving at the church is difficult for you. It's going to be difficult for you to volunteer. Just know that about yourself. You're still called to it, but it's going to be difficult because you don't want to feel like your time is wasted and you're going, you're going to spend a lot of time around some incompetent people. Welcome to the beautiful world of the church. Finally, fives are greedy or stingy with their emotions. Fives withhold their emotions from us. You do have a heart. It does beat, but, but sharing that stuff is scary for you. And oftentimes, if you love this person, the five, it's like loving them from the other side of some glass partition. So if you're a five, you've got to be generous with your time, with your affection, with your knowledge. Fives know more than the rest of us, and they actually have a hard time sharing what they know with us. You also have to be generous with your money. Fives know they earned it. They know it's theirs. They're great savers. They're great at calculating the tip. They're great at being exact. But they have a really, really hard time, if unhealthy, with just blessing somebody, a, a, a neighbor house was on fire. It, it can be hard for the five to, to detach from their budget for a second and realize how to respond. Five's generosity is your star word. If you're a five, throw out the other star word you got at the beginning of the month. If you were here that Sunday when we gave out star, generosity is your star word. A healthy five is always aiming to grow in generosity of time, of affection, of knowledge, of money. We don't actually know if Nicodemus ever moved from his head to his heart. We know Jesus tried to get him to do so. Nicodemus is only mentioned in the, in, in this, in the Bible three times. First in, in John 3, what we read today. Second in John 7, the trial of Jesus. Nicodemus stands up and says, Jesus is not getting a fair trial. 
in the calmest, fivest way ever. And then we meet him one more time. When Jesus dies, it says the tomb was provided by a, a man named Joseph of Arimathea, and the funeral expenses were paid for by Nicodemus. It says, with him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night with all the questions. It doesn't say with all the questions, I add that in. And he brought with him about 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and aloes. You know how much that is? 75 pounds? Scholars have calculated it to be about 250,000 to a half a million dollars in the ancient world. Generous beyond belief. 75 pounds of oils Nicodemus buried Jesus with. He was generous with his time while everyone else is at the Passover meal on the eve of Passover. Where is Nicodemus? He's burying Jesus. He was generous with his affection while everyone else is at Passover. He's expressing his grief as he tenderly cares for Jesus' body. And he was generous with his knowledge. Nicodemus knows what to do in this case. He knows. He's read all the books. He knows to use myrrh and aloes and wait for it. He knows how a king should be buried. His research has told him that. And so while everyone else is at Passover, Jesus is buried as a king by a man named Nicodemus. Nothing ever said whether his, he moved from his head to his heart, except I think his generosity did. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for, for the fives and each of us. My little teeny sliver, I don't know where it is in me, but I, I hope I have some of that wisdom in me, God. Thank you for the fives and each of us. And for the people in our, in our lives who, who show us what it means to feel and who ask us, who beckon us with respect and with space to come out into relationship. God, we know the triune God of grace is only three persons, three in one, because, God, you are relationship in and of your very essence, and you call us into that. And so when we detach from the world around us, when we, when we think we can do faith on our own, when we think I, I can read enough to know who you are, God, that is a lie. God, call that lie out in us because we need Christian community. We need relationship. We need to be beckoned into a life of generosity, of our time, of our affection, of our money. We join together in that prayer that Jesus taught us to pray as a way of moving us from our head to our heart. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.